Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Let me share a couple things with you real fast. Praise report. Uh, We've been praying for Miss Janie Jordan, um, who uh, was diagnosed a handful of months ago with lung cancer. She got a report this week from her doctors that she is cancer-free. Can we praise the Lord? God is good, Miss Janie. Amen? He is worthy. And let's be honest, he's worthy on those days, and he's worthy when we get the opposite. Our circumstances do not define the worth or worthiness of our God. Let's get into God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. grab your Bible, open it up. If you don't have your Bible, there's a hardback black one in the pew rack in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please take that. It is our gift to you. We want you to have it. We want you to read it. We want you to get in the Word so the Word gets into you. And I know that if you do that, God will use it to change your life. So, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. Are you there? Amen? All right. But the following instructions, I, in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal, and one goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks he broke it, and he said, This is my body which is for you, or broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then, and so, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, 
we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you this morning and we declare that you are worthy. Is all creation groaning? Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Is a new creation coming? It is. Does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. We, we thank You, Lord, that You are worthy. That You are worthy to take the scroll and open the seals for You have died. And with Your blood, You purchased for Yourself a people from every nation and tongue and tribe. To be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation to God. Father, You are worthy. You're worthy on the best of days. You're worthy on the worst of days. You're worthy when everything is going for us. You're worthy when everything seems to be falling apart around us. You are worthy. You are worthy because of who You are. You are worthy, Father, because You created us. Because You sustain us. Because You have given us life because You have given us breath, because You have redeemed us, because You intercede for us, You have justified us, You are sanctifying us, and You are worthy. And Lord, today there is nothing, nothing that can get in the way of us worshiping You. You are our God. Father, as we open Your Word, dive into Your Word, help us, Lord, to understand. Convict us, Holy Spirit, of sin and righteousness and judgment. Move among us. Blow upon us, just like You're doing at Asbury and Texas A&M and so many other college campuses, even around the world, how You're moving. Father, move among us today and have Your way in our hearts and in Your church In Jesus' name, and we all said, Amen. Now, how many of you have ever had interesting experiences in the Lord's Supper? I have, right? I I remember growing up, um, I didn't go to church regularly, but when I did, I went with my grandmother to First Methodist Montgomery, Alabama, and they do uh, the Lord's Supper slightly different than we do it. Um, And as a kid, I remember this vividly. I'm not sure if they celebrated the Lord's Supper every time that, uh, that they met, but I remember every time that I went, I celebrated the Lord's Supper. I didn't understand it. Nobody fenced the table for me, so I just went down as a young, lost kid. And there, they kind of filed you out row by row, and you all went down to the front, and you knelt down at a little bench thingy, and, and there the, the minister would come by, and you would drink out of the cup, and you, would, or, and you would eat the bread and drink out of the cup that everybody else drank from. It was gross. And, and I don't know what he was thinking, but he did have a rag, and he would take the cup, and he would put the rag on it, and then he would spin it which really did, all that did was smear it all the way around the cup. Whatever came before me. You might have had odd ones like that. How many of you have been to the one where they, they're dunkers, right? They dunk. That's weird to me. Then there's floaters on the inside, right? I just can't. I just can't. Now, it's, it's funny. It's interesting. Today, when we talk about the Lord's Supper, we tend to focus on all the details that really don't have any spiritual significance, right? We, the things that we... We talk about how often should we take it? How often should we take it? And you go, well, the Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say as often as you do it. 
That's what it says. How often is it right and wrong? Uh, what elements does the service have? What elements does the service have? Is it in the middle? Is it the end? When is the Lord's Supper? Right? Is it a drive-through where you come up and you get your stuff and you go back to your seat? Or is it like a sit-down restaurant where you're served? You know, what is it? We think about all these things. We, do we eat real bread? Or is it those stale crackers from Jesus' day, right? What is it? We talk about the Lord's Supper. Now, here at Seneca Baptist, we stack two cups right on top of each other, just giving a warning. So when, you, when it's served to you today, you're going to get two cups. There, and it's on purpose. It's on purpose. We're doing it just like the Bible says, right? Two cups. Laugh a little. So, wow. Okay, we, we talk about all of the things about the Lord's Supper, the details, but oftentimes we overlook the questions that are most important to the Lord. How is my heart? Are the motives that I have pure? How are my relationships with God, with others? Those seem to matter far more to God than is it at the end or is it the beginning? Do we stack two cups? Do we serve twice? Is it a drive through or a service at the table? And what is it? That, those questions seem to matter far more. And Paul, here in this passage, he skips all the details and he cuts straight to the heart. You want to know why I think that the Lord doesn't give us, this is how you do it. The book of Second Opinions chapter 9 says, thus saith the Lord, this is what a Lord's Supper service looks like. Because there's freedom in that, right? There's freedom. But Paul, in this passage, comes after the heart behind the Lord's Supper, not the way that we do the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to start kind of at the end of the passage, and I'm going to come back and walk through it, and you'll see why. Because I want you to see that Paul gives a very serious warning. I want you to open your Bibles to verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Did you see that? That is a heavy warning. Unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Then it goes on, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's a scary passage. We don't talk about that very often. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Wow! Are you seeing that with me? Verse 30, 31, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. So what the question for us is, what does it mean to eat and drink of the cup of the Lord, eat the bread in a manner that is unworthy of the Lord? What does that mean? It means, essentially, to come to the Lord's table in a way that's not just displeasing, but is sinful it's not befitting of a child of God. It's ignoring God's original intention, missing God's heart, failing to rightly diagnose the nature of our own hearts, and so making God a liar and making a mockery of the Lord's table. This is serious to God. 
Look at what he says. You're, if you take it in a manner unworthy of the Lord, you're drinking judgment on yourself. That's why I always put a fence around the table and I say, this is for believers. If you're not a believer, this is not for you. When I was a child, I drank judgment on myself unknowingly because I participated in the Lord's Supper, which proclaims His life, death, burial, and resurrection, and second coming, yet I was ignorant to His ways. So this is for believers. But then we see that there are other warnings throughout this passage that teach us what it means to drink and eat in a manner unworthy of the Lord. He says you're drinking judgment. Look, look what else he says in verse 30. That's why many of you were weak and ill and some have died. Whoa. Do you remember Ananias and Sapphira? That's what he's saying. Because you've taken the Lord's Supper in a manner unworthy of the Lord, you're drinking God's judgment upon yourself, and this is the exact reason why some are weak, some are ill, and some have died. This is the discipline of the Lord. That is a heavy, heavy passage. How lightly do we take the Lord's Supper? But Paul says, don't take it lightly. It's a serious matter. It's the Lord's table. So, we come into the passage and we see that Paul addresses some problems inside the Corinthian church. Now, Pastor Ken on Wednesday nights went through the book of 1 Corinthians and we learned a lot about the problems in the Corinthian church. So, if you might have ever been to a church that had problems, you're in good company, right? The, the, the churches with problems are in good company because every church in the Bible is filled with problems. Praise the Lord. Jesus never made a perfect church. He will one day. And, and, and you will never have a perfect church. But there are problems in the church. What are those problems? Let's look. First are divisions in the church. Divisions in the church. Look at verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. Verse 19, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Now, in this passage, he makes reference to two kinds of divisions. One kind of division is necessary for God's people, and one kind of division is not. One kind of division is healthy in the body of Christ. The other kind of division is destructive to God's church. So we see the necessary, healthy faction within God's church. Look right down here, verse 19, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So there is a kind of faction necessary in the church, and, and it's, it's as Paul compares in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he talks about two kinds of people. Do you remember? And he talks about the natural person and the spiritual person. And this is what he's speaking of. See, the spiritual person receives spiritual truths from the Spirit, but the natural person, Paul says, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Or maybe it's like Jesus taught when he said, you know a tree by its fruit. Or when he said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Jesus talked about this all the time. You know, how, he, how he said, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. I came to set homes and households against one another. That the, 
father would be against the son, and the son against the father, and the mother against the daughter-in-law, and so on and so forth. Brother against brother. Why? Because he's, he's, he's revealing who are the true followers of Jesus and who aren't. He gives story after story. Wheat and tares. The parable of the soils. Sheep and goats. The wise virgins and the foolish virgins. All these are factions that are necessary to prove those who are truly God's children. Do you see how that's important? We must know. We must know. But there are also in the Corinthian church some divisions that are not necessary. In fact, they are quite destructive. And so if you've read the book of 1 Corinthians lately, if you're on our, uh, our Bible reading plan, one of our Bible reading plans is going through 1 Corinthians right now, and the problems are endless. Chapters 1 through 3, they're, they're following parties. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. Do you remember this? And Paul says, who am I? Who am I? Is Christ divided? The answer is no. So there are parties. There are those in chapter uh, 3 and 4 that, that believe that they're, they're because of the way they were raised or the way they were brought up, that they are super apostles. Super apostles. And Paul just says, hey, you guys are strong, we're weak, right? He's comparing the, these who call themselves super apostles to just regular average apostles. Chapter 5. There's a believer or believers inside the Corinthian church who are so proud of their sin. They're boasting in their sin. Chapter 6, they have lawsuits against one another. Chapter 8, the food sacrificed to idols is creating a stumbling block within God's church. Within God's church. Chapter 11, there's a contentious woman who Paul is putting in her place. Chapter 13, there is a lack of love inside God's church. Chapter 14, they have chaotic worship services. And God says, hey, it's not supposed to be this way. There are all these divisions inside God's church, some that are necessary to prove the genuineness of their faith and others destructive to the church. Paul says, when you come to the Lord's table, one of the ways that we can drink of the cup or eat of the bread in an unworthy manner is to have unnecessary, unhealthy division. The second thing we see is selfishness. I want you to look at verse 20 to 22. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. Verse 22 says, What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God? So we see this. We see this selfishness. How do we know it's selfishness? One pastor said it like this. Everyone treated it like it was his own meal. The Johnsons, they brought a spread that would make King Solomon jealous. But they refused to share with the Smiths over here. They had nothing. In fact, humiliating the Smiths was the very reason that they brought, the Johnsons brought all they brought. Some of the members were three sheets to the wind and had a little too much, if you get what I'm saying. Brother Billy was passed out over here on the third row. Right? That's what he says. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Right here at the Lord's table. Selfishness. Their meal was marked by the flaunting of wealth, pride, greed, drunkenness, and just an overall sense of selfishness. 
And what it says in verse 22 is that the Corinthians were despising the church of God. And in despising the members of God's church, who were they really despising? God. The one who had bought them with a price. We see divisions and selfishness. And the third thing that we see is an improper understanding of the Lord's Supper. Look down, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25 says, In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Three things that they misunderstood. One is it was to be taken with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. Now, I don't know, maybe you've had the experience of when you take the Lord's Supper, it ought to be only a solemn moment. I need to have my face down at the ground. I need to have my sin ever before me. And if I don't have tears in my eyes, there's something wrong with me. Now, should the Lord's Supper be a solemn moment? Yes, it is intended to be solemn. Is it only to be solemn? No. It's so much more than a solemn moment, specifically one of thanksgiving. Why? Because when we partake in the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that God has saved us by no merit of our own. Isn't that good news? It's good news. So yes, I have sinned grievously against the Lord, rebelled against His character and His nature, and I deserve, as a child of wrath, to be cast into hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if He were to throw me there, I would have no argument. Yet, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He had for us, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. By grace, you have been saved. And that should make a sinner's heart rejoice. Give thanks. Why? Because we who should not have received mercy, received God's mercy. We who were not God's people are now God's people. Isn't that good news? Therefore, we cry out like the psalmist did in Psalm chapter 103. Do you remember it? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Listen, just let these words sink in. Who forgives all your iniquity. who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Bless the Lord, O my soul. When we come to the feast, this, the Lord's table is a feast. It's the feast of the Lord. We ought come 
with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving in our heart. I mean, think about it. We talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb sometimes. And I think when we get to the marriage supper of the Lamb, there's not going to be a time of sorrow. Why? My time of sorrow has ceased. Do you know as a Christian, there's a time for sorrow over sin. There's a time for confession. There's a time for repentance. There's a time for the kind of godly repentance that breaks our hearts because we see His heart. How we fall short of it. There's a time for that, and then there's a time in the Christian life for thanksgiving and rejoicing, and the Lord's table, as we prepare for it, is a time of sorrow, and as we take it, is a time of rejoicing and thanksgiving. Think about coming, if you were invited, if you were invited to the, the you know, name some dignitary, I almost said the president's house, but probably not wise, okay? So if you were invited to the feast at the, your favorite dignitary's house, you're not going to enter with sorrow, but thanksgiving. Why? Because you get to participate in a table that you don't belong at. And the same is true with us Christians. We get to celebrate in and rejoice at and share in the presence of God. And we don't belong to be there. It should be for, with thanksgiving. The second misunderstanding is that it's for sinners. It is for sinners. I want you to look. Verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you, broken for you. When, he, when Jesus talks about the cup, he says, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you. Who is the you? It's us. Who are us? Sinners. The Lord's Supper is for sinners. Can we just stop and, and thank God that that to come to the Lord's table, we don't have to try to paint ourselves a certain way or put on a face that I have to be good enough or I have to have my life all together, but rather the Lord's Supper is a recognition that I don't have it all together. That's why I needed the King of the universe to send His own Son to come and die for me. That's how horrible my sin was. But rather now, I can come broken. It's a reminder that Jesus died to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost, that Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. This Lord's table is for sinners. Are you a sinner out there? If you are, this is for you. And we rejoice and we give thanks. Why? Because Christ Jesus died to save us. It's an exercise in humility. Blessed, Jesus says, are the poor in spirit. But it's ultimately not done as a remembrance of us. It's not for us to remember our sin, but that's the third thing. It's done to remember Jesus. What does Jesus say? This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25 ends with the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. What does that mean? It means that when we come to the Lord's table, we're not remembering our sin. We have done that. We have prepared our hearts. We have had sorrow. We have had confession. And now when we come to the Lord's table, we're thinking about what Jesus did. 
that Jesus, the perfect Son of God, lived a sinless life and died a sinner's death. Our sins traded for His perfect righteousness. That He bore the wrath of God for our sins and He bore it in full so that we don't have to. That He drank a cup of wrath without mercy so that we could drink a cup of mercy without any drop of wrath. Jesus bore the wrath of God. He tore the veil in two, granting sinners like you and me access into the Holy of Holies. Isn't that good? And Jesus rose on the third day, sealing His victory over sin and death and receiving the stamp of God's approval, saying, paid in full. And when we come to the Lord's table, it's not about remembering our sins, but it's remembering Him, His life, His death, His righteousness, God's wrath poured out, veil torn, empty tomb. Jesus did all this to purchase for Himself a people. And we sang it from every tribe and nation and tongue. He tore down every dividing wall of hostility and made one man in the place of two. Finally, Jesus ascended to sit at the Father's right hand where He intercedes for you every day. What is He interceding for you? He is interceding the grace and mercy of God on your behalf as sinful human beings every day. Isn't that good? And He is ruling and reigning until one day He's going to return as the victorious King of kings and Lord of lords who will come not to die on a cross as a humble Savior, but will come as a conquering King. And that's why it says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. There is a a past tense where we remember, but we're also remembering a promise that just as the same way that He went up into heaven, He's going to come back. The Lord's Supper is a picture of the gospel. How many of you are visual learners? You learn by seeing things. This is how we learn the gospel. This is how the lost come into the church. This is one of the ordinances that people can come into the church and see the gospel portrayed before them. The second is the baptismal. This is how they see the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel And the gospel is the greatest uniting force in all the world. Tim Shorey says it this way, The communion communion meal reminds warring Christians that their shared fallen condition has been redeemed through the substitutionary death of their shared Savior. Communion preaches the cross where guilty sinners can draw near to meet on level ground. Listen to me, church. What differences do we have that cannot be overcome by the gospel of Jesus Christ? We voted differently. Praise the Lord, we have the same Savior. And isn't it good that He reigns ultimately? Yes. What differences do we have? We were raised differently. We believe differently on some side issues. Praise God, the gospel is central. 
And so here's the exhortation. Verse 28. Let a person examine himself. That sounds kind of almost like a suggestion because it's missing the force of the imperative form of that word. Examine yourself. If Paul were sitting here with us, that's how it would be said. Examine yourself. Here's what it doesn't say. It does not say examine others. Don't be fruit inspectors of other people's trees. It's not, not what he's getting at. Don't, he's not saying judge others' hearts, judge others' intentions, judge others' personal worthiness. He's not saying that. He looks at you and me right in our eyes and he says, examine yourself. Because their heart will not drink judgment into your life. Did you hear that, church family? Their sin will not drink judgment into your life. It will, their sin will not cause you to eat and drink in a manner unworthy of the Lord. Only your sin can do that. How do we do that? How do we examine ourselves? Well, number one... I think the main way that we do this is we do this through the Word of God being prayerfully and carefully read as we surrender ourselves to God's Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 4 says it this way, verse 12 and 13, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from His sight. So God's Word, through God's Holy Spirit, pierces and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from His sight. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. What was God's question? Where are you? Was, was God really lost in that moment? Where'd they go? Lost those two. They were here just a minute ago. All the, all the oxen free, right? No. God was begging them to come out of hiding. To come into confession. He's begging them to say, let me see where you are. What's going on in your heart? And that's the question for us is, where are you? Where are you? No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You can't, we can't hide from the Lord. You can fool me all day long, but we can't fool the Lord. We can't hide from him. So we examine ourselves, introspection through the word, by God's Holy Spirit. And last, I think we must ask ourselves hard questions. And so I want to put some questions up on the screen. I hope they all fit up there. Can you see those? Have I forgiven all who've asked for it? Have I confessed my sins, my offenses against others and asked their forgiveness? Have I sought reconciliation with those who have hurt me? Am I bitter toward anyone? 
am I marked more by peace and affection or by anger and offense? Do I refer to them more than we when I'm talking about a group of believers? Have I participated in grumbling, complaining, gossip, or slander? What must I do to be at peace with everyone as far as it depends on me? Can I sincerely embrace with love all who will join me at the Lord's table today? Paul's saying, examine ourselves. Let the word of Christ do that. Ask ourselves hard questions. Today we come to the Lord's table, and before we come to the Lord's table, we must examine ourselves. Otherwise, we are in danger of drinking the cup, eating the bread in a manner unworthy of the Lord. As we come to the Lord's table, before we take the Lord's Supper, there's going to be an opportunity for us to repent, to confess our sins. If you need to confess your sins to one another, please, Lord, do that. You do what the Lord leads you to do. But many of us, we just need to get down on our knees and confess our sins to each other. And we're going to leave these questions up on the screen that we might consider them as we pray. The altar is going to be open. Miss Margaret's going to be just playing softly. Before we participate in the Lord's Supper, we're, we'll come to a confession. Would you stand with me? Maybe you need to move. The altar is open. If there's anybody who needs to get saved today, today's the day of salvation.